All summer, if you haven't noticed, we've been in this series and working through these different Old Testament characters, and we've called the series Average Joes, and just seeing how God uses just average, ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and uh, this morning is consistent with that, and it's a story, uh, to be honest with you, that I couldn't resist at least touching on. I'm titling uh, the topic, Elisha the Bald Prophet, and uh, <laughs> You, you don't have to look very hard to try to figure out how this might relate to the one giving the message this morning. I remember, uh, I remember the, uh, not calling myself a prophet, but um, I remember when I was in uh, college, late in college, I, I was sitting down at uh, Supercuts and, uh, you know, the finer haircut establishments, and, uh, and, and the, the person cutting my hair said, said to me, said, you know, Scott, I, I think you might be thinning a little bit back there. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that, that, that can't be. And sure enough, like with a double mirror back at home later on, I'm like, yeah, it's starting to go. I notice it's still thinning a little bit too, and I'm, I don't know if you picked up on that. Uh, but, the, um, but this morning, much like uh, 85% of male men over the age of 50 that are suffering from baldness, you'll appreciate the uh, study that we're going to do looking at Elisha. Nice how I got that stat in there. Um, <laughs> We're going to be looking at uh, the story of Elisha, and we're in 2 Kings 2, 23, and this might be a story that you've never even seen in the Old Testament. It's kind of obscure, and uh, really, to be honest with you, uh, if it's not broken down properly, you could come to some false conclusions that our God is just an angry God waiting to inflict punishment for minor offenses. Really, that, that, that could be if you just first at first glance that we're going to see this text here this morning, you might come to some conclusions. And uh, to be honest, many have come to some conclusions looking at the Old Testament and not seeing the full picture and the scope of God's bl perfect blend between grace and justice. You might come to some false conclusions. So my prayer is that this morning, that it'd be a little bit clearer picture of God's character who he is, that he, he is a God that's full of grace and love and compassion, but he's also a God that takes sin very seriously and any obstacles to the message of grace, he takes very seriously as well. I remember sitting in a counseling session one time where the, uh, the counselor that was doing some of the work, I was there as a support, I was talking to this young lady who is uh, dealing with uh, depression and just going through a lot of difficult times, anorexia. And he asked her this question, asked, you know, if you were to, to model the way you see, if you were to do a physical uh, art of, of how you see God, how would you say you picture him? It's interesting to watch this young lady. She stood up and she, she had her, her arms crossed and just this sour face, just like this mad look on her face. And I was like, you know what? That's probably a pretty clear picture of a lot of ways that a lot of people see God as this angry judge just waiting to come down on them. And I just want to make sure this morning that we paint a picture that kind of captures the full scope of who he is, that he's a God of grace, but also a God of justice, like the, the, the perfect blend of that. And so I want to pray towards that end as we dive into this text. Dear Lord, we just invite you this morning uh, to be present. We just thank you already for an opportunity to, to sing of your greatness and praise you. We just ask now as we open this text that can be a, a difficult text, uh, that you would really reveal yourself uh, to us, that we wouldn't have a, a limited, narrow view of you, but understanding the full scope of you being perfect in power, perfect in grace, perfect in justice, all the things, if we're honest, that our hearts cry for. Pray now that you'd speak to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Well, if you can turn with me, as I mentioned, 2 Kings 2.23. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use the Bible on the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can have the Bible in the chair in front of you. Um, and uh, as a little uh, keepsake from ABF. But uh, we're going to start by just reading through uh, the text, a few verses there, and then we're going to pause and kind of work through verse by verse. So take a look with me uh, first at 2 Kings 2.23. It says this, describing Elisha. It says, He went up from there, and we'll describe where there was in a minute, to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Whoa, pretty intense. <laughs> and, uh, and he hurtful, hurtful words. And uh, he turned around, and when he saw them, and this is the part that's hard to figure out what to do with, we'll talk about, he cursed them in the name of the Lord, and two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. And from there, and from, from there, he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Whoa! What in the world? How many would confess to having never read that story in the Old Testament in your life? Never having heard that. Good. So we're uh, in uncharted territory. And some of you, upon first read, you must be saying like, what is this talking about? Isn't this inconsistent with the, this, this uh, ambassador, this prophet of, of grace and forgiveness? How is that consistent? But I think what we're going to see is that the truth is in this text as we unpack it, it's very consistent with this fact that the truth is he was an ambassador of grace and truth, and that's why this happened. That's why it was so important that this happened. Let's start with a little background uh, on the story Elisha is really well, uh, well known because of, being, because of his predecessor. Who can tell me who that was? Who was prior to Elisha? Nice, very close, uh, close in name. Elijah, and he's most known for this epic standoff that he had with the prophets of Baal. You remember the story on Mount Carmel where they had the two altars set up and there's kind of the line, line drawn and the entire nation had to choose to decide, choose this day whom you're going uh, to serve. Do you remember the story? And, uh, and the, the, the prophets of Baal go into this whole crazy display trying to get their God to, to, to do something to burn this altar. Well, obviously there wasn't much of a response because they didn't have a real God. And then when Elijah has the opportunity, what did God do? Sends down fire from heaven. It's like a legit like uh, Hollywood blockbuster kind of uh, ending where, where God just melts the altar. It was soaked with water. God reveals himself to be the God, the one and true God. It's an awesome testimony. So coming after that story, you have the, the story, the introduction of Elisha onto the scene. And it's interesting, and you can read about the first introduction of Elisha in uh, 1 Kings 19, where God points out to Elijah that, hey, listen, this guy's going to be your replacement. It's fun to watch the story of that because Elisha was just an average Joe, it describes. You don't know anything about him other than that he was out plowing his fields. And Elijah comes along and invites him to come and be his mentor or for him to be his mentor of sorts. And so that's the beginning of the story of Elisha taking the place of Elijah. So most believe that it's about a three-year period of time that there's an overlap between Elijah and Elisha where there's kind of this mentoring relationship. And then who can tell me, this is quiz day, where, how did Elijah then go up? 
off. How did, it, how did the, the ending come for Elijah? What did he do? Chariot of fire. Pretty cool story. I love the Old Testament, just like just radical stories of God doing amazing stuff. So Elijah leaves the scene in a chariot of fire. We could unpack that here for an hour. But uh, the, then leaving Elisha to carry on as what? The voice piece, the spokesman of God at that time. There's not a lot of prophets at that time. It's basically God saying, hey, I'm choosing to use this person to speak on my behalf. So you can see even elevated even prior to this story that this is a big deal. This is a spokesman for God. And so Elisha comes onto the scene and that's close to the beginning of his ministry is where our story starts. It says, as you see in the text, it first says, he went up from there. Let's, let's talk about that first. Well, he went up from where? You, you would want to know that, right? Where was he coming from? He was coming uh, prior to being there. He's referring to his time spent in Jericho. And I won't belabor, belabor you with tons of details, but it's a pretty cool story of him in Jericho where the people of Jericho come to him complaining, saying, listen, our water source is terrible. Like it's causing infertility. It's causing all kinds of issues. It's not a good water source. It may look good on the outside as a city of Jericho, but our water is terrible. Kind of like Los Angeles. No, uh, uh, but just kidding. I don't even think it's bad. Uh, but uh, Jericho, so, so then Elisha, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God working through him, basically heals and fixes the water. It's kind of a cool account of him solving this water issue for an entire region. So it's an extension of God's awesome grace to this people group, even people that were rejecting him at that time. Does that make sense? All right, so that's the backdrop. So he's coming in. It says, he went up from there to Bethel, Bethel was the town that he was heading into. And this is where we see there the, the account, and this is the first point that I w- would want to make this morning, is that we're to expect opposition when speaking for God. Look at verse 23. It says, He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. I don't know why bald head brings a smile to your face every time you hear it, but uh, kind of a funny term to hear. This, uh, this is maybe something, this expectation that, listen, if I'm going to be a spokesman for God, I'm guessing that Elijah had talked to him about this. Listen, based on Jezebel and all the prophets of Baal, it doesn't go easy for you when you're speaking on God's behalf. This is not going to be a smooth ride. And so Elisha, right at the very beginning of his ministry, you would think that there would be like crowds coming to cheer. He just fixed the water solution for this entire region. But no, they're coming out and taunting him, taunting him. Why is that? Because the truth is that when, when we're coming with a message of grace and repentance and the opportunity to turn and repent and come back to God, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition. Scripture is super clear throughout that there's a battle going on behind the scenes for people's souls, for people's eternities. And so when we're presenting truth, that should only make sense to us that there's going to be resistance to that truth. I remember being on uh, one of the uh, a serving trip down in um, St. Vincent, which is in the south of uh, the Caribbean, which isn't a bad place to go on a serving trip if you're going to pick one. And we were in there and we were doing some different outreach events with a number of college-age students. 
we're in this uh, kind of a town hall like gathering place for this outreach event. And uh, we had kind of planned ahead of time what the program was going to look like. And we had different uh, college students sharing testimonies. And I remembered our, our one piece that was going to tie them all together uh, was saying at the end of your testimony where they shared about what God had done in their life, they'd conclude by say, they would conclude by saying, my name is whatever their name is, and I've been set free. So that was kind of under the umbrella of being set free from, from sin. And, and so that was kind of the running theme. So the, the evening started... And even as we're getting, getting up there and getting the program rolling, there's a woman in the back of the room that just starts kind of heckling, kind of talking, talking trash from, you don't see that a lot in church services. I haven't had that thank you in the back. Uh, uh, but, but, uh, but this woman starts, starts heckling and starts getting a little bit louder. And one of, one of the guys, I mean, these students haven't done a lot of public speaking, so this is their one shot up there. They, they've got the mic. They're kind of shaking. And I remember one particular guy, he finishes his, uh, his testimony, and he says, my, my name is Jesus Christ, and I've been set free. And we're like, we had to correct him. We had to correct him. We're like, you're not Jesus Christ, but, but it's awesome that you're set free. And so, but, I, but it was just a, an interesting account of like just opposition. Like the, the, she went on, the, the, the pastor in that, that region, the area there, ended up having to, uh, with some other leaders, ask the woman to leave. Like she just kept just going after and badgering from the back. You can imagine how distracting that was. Maybe, maybe your story or your account hasn't been such extreme. Maybe it's been in the workplace or in your own world, your own environment. But the truth is, is the more intentional we get about proclaiming Christ to those around us, the more you're going to just run into opposition, opposition. You're going to butt heads with the, in the community, with your neighbors. With I, I mean, there's going to be opposition to the truth being proclaimed. It's part of the package. It's part of the deal. And so where is he heading? It says that he was going up to the town of Bethel, the town of Bethel. And it's interesting because the word Bethel means house of God, means house of God. So it had religious, prior to that, it had been a place of worship, but it had shifted as Israel, the counts of Israel, so many times before they had wandered from God and it headed towards adultery. In fact, Hosea, who followed uh, after Elisha described it as instead of the house of God, he used the word Bethaven, which means house of wickedness, to describe that region. So just kind of a play on words that he used to describe this exact same town. So my point in bringing this up of where he's headed is that there's a lot at stake there. He's coming with the opportunity to repent and to come back to God. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal. The message that he's carrying much like the message we carry today, carried a lot of weight to it. It was serious business. So he's heading into this town with a message of of repentance and the opportunity to turn and repent. And what does it say there? It says, Some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him. Upon first read, you're just like, wait a second, like, that doesn't settle well. And I think that this, when I was doing some research and reading some different commentaries on it, I think it settled a little bit better for me. The same word that's used there for small boys, I don't know that that captures it, is the word nair, which is N-A-A-R. And it has the same word that's used in the, the Old Testament to describe a couple of different things. To describe servants, to describe soldiers, and it was the same word that was used to describe Isaac when he was 28 years old. 
So, you can imagine a pretty all-encompassing word describing young adults, if you will. So, the picture of it maybe being young boys, I don't feel like that might be accurate. For me, I'm able to swallow this text a little bit better with that little bit of background information. So, the, potentially a group of young men, even potentially in that area with the such degree of idol worship that we saw of Baal, uh, potentially even false prophets in training or students in training. And, but either way, they were antagonists to what Elisha was doing. Look what it says in the text. It says that they came out of the city. This wasn't just they stumbled upon him. This was an intentional, an intentional obstruction to what was going to occur there. They came to meet him where they were. And he wasn't just some stranger, right? They, uh, they obviously knew who he was. They obviously they, they started taunting him. And what they said to him, this is the attack, their intentional attack. It was two pieces. The first thing that they say to him, they say, go up, bald head. The, the idea of going up, the going up piece was pointing, most commentaries agree with this, or Bible commentators uh, believe that the going up had to do with who? His predecessor, Elijah, saying, go up. Why don't you go up like your predecessor? In, in other words, mocking even the story of where he was coming from. That why don't you ascend up as you claim your predecessor, Elijah, had? So this going up was a, a reference to that. The whole idea of mocking and denying God's actions for his, uh, for the, his predecessor. So that's what most believe is the description there is go on up. In other words, get out of here, get lost. So, so, so not really a welcome committee, if you will. So this group of, of young adults, we see 42 of them, in fact. It made me think of the account of, uh, of Jesus on the cross when they kept on taunting him. It says, man, if you're the son of God, why don't you come down from there? Why don't you solve this? Why don't you, why don't you in this account, saying, hey, mocking, if you're really a prophet... Why don't you go on up? Why don't you do it just like Elijah did or claims to have done? So it's mocking, first off, the message that he was bringing, questioning and, and countering that, and then also just a good old personal attack, a jab at, it, at, at being follically challenged, you know, like the, the, the missing a little bit of hair. Like the, so he's calling him baldhead. Some believe that this potentially, it might not have been natural baldness. Sometimes when somebody was dealing with grief, they would shave their head. So it might have been as personal as him being bald because he was mourning the loss of a close friend and mentor. Does that make sense? And so whether it was a, of natural losing hair or, or whatever, if it was natural, it was most likely mocking because in that time, baldness was usually attached to leprosy. And so there's a lot going on here. All that to say is what was happening there was not a good thing. It was someone, a group of young adults, if you will, that are gathering with intentionality to, to distract and to, to be a hindrance to what was about to go down in the, in the city, the opportunity to repent and turn. So he attacks, much like the enemy still does to this day, he attacks the message and the messenger. How often do you watch political stuff and see that same exact approach? Like they try to tear down the truth of the message, then they try to attack personally. It's still consistent today uh, with attacks. And so that's what Elisha was experiencing. So expect opposition when speaking for God. Let's continue in the text and see how God responds to this. Obviously, from seeing it already, he takes it pretty seriously. God, I, I titled this section, God Takes the Proclamation of His Word Seriously. Verse 24 says this, And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. 
And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Let's pause there. Why? Like, why, why, does, the God, why does God take the proclamation of his word so seriously? Why is this such a big deal? Because the truth is, is that this, the message in this book, the message that Elisha carried, is a message of hope. It's the channel that brings men out of darkness and into the light. And so the message that he was carrying, you see, it's, it's kind of like this, if you're kind of piecing it together, if you will. The seriousness of the punishment shows the seriousness of the crime. Does that make sense? In other words, man, opposing the message that Elisha was bringing was not a small deal, was not a little deal. When there's opposition to that, you have to be questioning, listen, that has the potential to take people's eyes off the good news, the message of redemption, the message of forgiveness. And the same thing today. When we're opposed, when there's something that's obstructing the ability to communicate the grace and love that Jesus Christ offers, that's something that's not taken lightly. First Chronicles 16, 22, the, the Lord says this. He says, Touch not mine anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Do my prophets no harm. Now, we don't know exactly what was going to play down. Maybe the, and God in his omniscience, and this is where you're having to trust his character, maybe he knew a few steps ahead of what was about to play out. Maybe he knew that there's rocks in their hands and this was about to go south really quickly with young adults like gathered a mob of them. Like as you watch the news and see any kind of uh, thing that starts as a, a peaceful demonstration, how that can escalate quickly and turn to violence. And so this act is a one degree, some degree of, of trust. But I think it's interesting to watch Elisha's response. And we can learn from this even as we're dealing with opposition. He says he didn't turn and run. He didn't debate with them or chase them. He didn't change his message. He didn't complain to God or, or quit. Look what he did instead. He turned it over to the Lord. At first read, you're like, what is that? It says he cursed them in the name of the Lord. At first, you're just like, the, the word curse there, what do we attach to, to curse? You think back to all those nice words you learned in junior high, right? Uh, you, you think of, of some kind of a, a verbal shoot down. But what he says, the word curse that's used in the context, the word there is called galal, G-A-L-A-L, which means bringing someone to a little account, bringing them lower. In other words, if you think of the picture, the idea is lowering someone from the place of blessing. So taking someone outside of God's protective care. He's in other words, if you think of the, the story of Job, when the, God's protective shelter was then off of Job, things got really bad for Job really quickly, right? Things went south in a day. Like if you don't realize this, God has part of his grace extended to mankind is a protective covering of grace even around us. And if you, if you don't realize that, the truth is, is that nobody's guaranteed to get to live their 70, 80, 100 years here on, on earth underneath that, that, that protective umbrella. All Elisha is saying is, hey, why doesn't he, let's, let's fast forward this judgment thing, and let him, them experience it even in this moment, apart from God's protective covering. I don't know if any of you watch TV shows. Sometimes I'll watch, uh, we, we don't have cable, we just have the net, is that what it's called, Netflix? Uh, 
And uh, a lot of times we'll fast forward through something. You're like, ah, this is dumb, but I'm kind of interested to see how it's going to end. I was thinking about that. uh, Anybody else do that with shows? And uh, man, am I the only one that watches TV in here? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, But but fast forwarding, I kind of think of that of Elisha fast forwarding for them saying, hey, let's skip all this. Let's fast forward and just go straight to the you meeting with God and getting what you deserve. You know what I'm saying? Like he's saying, Let, let's skip all this detail and let's see what, what things look like with you apart from God's protective covering. So he turns it over to God. And I, I, a lot of times you're like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I, and you could debate this. Maybe this will be a good conversation over lunch. Maybe the bears aren't even an outcome of God's action towards them. Maybe it's just the outcome of a protective covering of God off of them. Does that make sense? Outside of God's grace and his protective covering, Satan, what does he want to do? He wants to seek, destroy, and kill. Like, that's his intent. So here, the protective covering is taken off. And what does it describe happens? Two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of these guys up tore 42 of them. I was like, what in the world? Uh, to me, the, I do the math, and if I'm, not, if I'm number like 42, like after 36 or 37, I'm in a full sprint out of there. Like, anybody else think in these terms? Like, I'm like, uh, I, was, I was thinking of the story of the, the two guys hiking out in the, the wilderness, and they come upon a, a grizzly bear, and they're standing right in the center of, of the path there, and the, the one friend says to the other one, says, there's no way we're going to be able to outrun that thing. And the, other, the friend turns to him and says, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. Because uh, this, uh, sorry, you'll get that later. Uh, but, but this picture of like, man, it was a ripple effect. I don't know if it was supernatural power, but these, these, these two bears, and usually it's the male bears that are known for being the, the more aggressive, but these two she bears, that's a testimony to how, how upset. Uh, no, anyway. Um, <laughs> But uh, the she-bears just take out 42 of these kids. Like, can you imagine the chaos there? That's the kind of story that ripples in to an entire town, wouldn't you say? This is a degree, I was thinking about this, I'm like, that's a little bit of a warning story coming in as he's even starting, something that gives validity to his message. Hey, maybe I need to listen to this bald head. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I need to listen to, to the message that this guy is bringing. What I noticed throughout the Old Testament is the stories are all large and all about amplifying the greatness of our God. And also, the thing that you'll notice in the Old Testament is teaching a degree of, whoa, he's serious. Whoa, justice is coming. Whoa, his, his judgments are not light. He takes sin seriously. And so for us to understand the full scope of God's character, I think, I'll be honest, I started going into this text this, this week on, uh, on Tuesday morning. I was in it and I was like, I don't know if I want to stay here. Like, that's a, that's a rough one to preach. Like, how, how do you find, like, a happy ending to that? Like, where do you, you know, like, like the, there's no frolicking in the field of flowers at the end of this story. And I was thinking, but you know what? God gave us the whole book, right? He gave us all of this. And so I was like, what, what do you do with that? What do you learn about God's character? Is the thing that I was taking away from this, is there's a big deal, is that eternities are at stake. Eternities, people 
Mothers, fathers, children. Like, it, it, it's a big deal what, what, what the message that we proclaim is riding on. And so the reason God takes this so seriously and had such drastic response to it is that he can't tolerate obstacles to the message of grace when eternities are at stake. Does that make sense? He can't tolerate obstacles to the good news of, of hope that he has. He can't, he can't have resistance to that. He can't tolerate obstacles because it's so critical. And for us, my, for me, the takeaway is like, man, if it's so critical that this message gets out, this message of hope, and if we're honest with ourselves, we have the exact same message that, that Elisha was walking into that town with. Still the same message. Message of hope and forgiveness and grace and, and having eternities redirected and have your eternity. Set. The, the news that we have is so critical. And what if the urgency level got bumped up a couple notches? To me, reading a story like that does that in my mind. Like, whoa, this is serious business. So for me, it kind of in conclusion, is this is a trust exercise. This is a trust in God's big picture character. A God that loved us, was so crazy about us that he, he, he came in the, the form of a man, lived a, a perfect life, and then died as a sacrifice for our sins. You can't miss that picture here. That's why he's like, listen, we can't have anything get in the way of that message going out. That's why we see this account. And so for us, the, the takeaway, my hope is, what if we had the same degree of urgency with people we love and care about? Our friend in the cube down the, down the hall, the, 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 the person that we work out with at the gym every day, the person like you fill in the blank, your family member that you haven't talked to in six months. Like what, what if there's that same urgency to get this life-altering message out, not letting anything get in the way of that? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this picture. And even though, if I'm honest, it can be a, a hard one to understand and a hard one to, to swallow, God, but I thank you that the picture of you and your character isn't just in one snapshot. It's in a full, beautiful picture across history of your grace and your forgiveness and all of this pointing towards and leading up to the grace that was extended through Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for that. I thank you that we can cling to that. We can cling to your character and your goodness. God, I pray that you would elevate just a sense of urgency even in our own lives, that we wouldn't be surprised or shocked by uh, when there's resistance and when there's obstacles. That, but, but the fact that, that if we're yielding your word, if we're faithful to com and committed to that, God, you will be our protector. You'll go before us. You'll, you'll clear the path, God, because it's so important. Eternities are at stake. I will praise you for this chance to be in your word, to be in your house, to celebrate your name, God. We submit, we surrender to you, God. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. I love that those words, we lift the cross high. That's really the whole idea here. That's where the, the obstacles come, the persecution comes, but we have to be faithful in that commitment of lifting the cross high. Pray you guys have a fantastic week in the Lord. If you'd like to participate in our deacons fund, which is a way that we help back in the community, Feel free to give to that as you go today. God bless you.